everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, Neurological. Psyched to have you with us. Also here is my partner in crime and psychology, Tiana. And today we're going to discuss a case. It's a criminal case that just had a new update within the last uh, month or so. Uh, so it's a one that I want to cover uh, not really in great detail, just out of interest in terms of what actually happened. So yeah, we'll start start with, uh, I guess, a discussion of the case itself, mm-hmm. the so original. This is the Leonard Moses case? Correct. All right. Um, so what brought you to this case, and how did you learn about it? Uh, so I was watching the news one night um, back in November, and they had brought up this case, and other criminal cases where it kind of gets primarily resolved within a certain time frame. This one is kind of a two-parter in terms of there's an original case and then a new part of the case. So that's how I got interested in this. Okay. So do you want to tell us, I guess, first about the original case, the, the first part of it? Right. So take you back to 1968 um, and that is when the original case happened Um, so this was a time right after uh, the Martin Luther King assassination Um, there were some riots around the country and in Pittsburgh in particular there were uh, the Pittsburgh riots creatively named Um, (laughs) and in in those riots there was a man named Leonard Moses Um, He was there with some friends, and at the time, he threw a Molotov cocktail um, into a house, and that was where a um, Mary Amplo um, had lived, and he threw the Molotov cocktail in there. Uh, For those that don't know, a Molotov cocktail is extremely uh, flammable um, and creates, uh, has a great potential to create uh, fire. So the fire caused um, Mary Amplow to have burns, um, and then while she was in the hospital with the burns, um, she actually died of pneumonia, hmm. and uh, it was a result of that death that he was then charged with um, the murder uh, of her. Um, so that was the original case uh, that happened in 1968. Okay. And then there were some recent developments. Yes. Yeah, so... I should say, after that initial case, he was charged with the death of Mary Amplo and was then convicted of that and was sentenced to serve a life sentence for first-degree murder of uh, Mary Amplo. He was incarcerated, and then he was given permission in, on June 1st, 1971, to attend a funeral for his grandmother, um, which was in Pittsburgh as well. Uh, so he went to that funeral, and... Uh, I don't know if it was during the funeral or after the funeral um, or on his way back from the funeral that he actually escaped custody and was um, unable to be located. Uh, so that prompted a arrest warrant to be issued on July 12th. So a little over a month later, um, a federal arrest warrant was issued and he was charged with unlawful flight to avoid confinement. Um, so they didn't, they didn't know where he was. <clears throat> kind of was the last 
update before the one that just came in November. Okay. That was in 1971, you said? Correct, yes. Okay. So for about 49 years, um, the location of Leonard Moses was unknown. Oh, wow. And in early 2020, uh, January 2020, uh, Leonard Moses was arrested for embezzlement, um, where he was actually acting as a traveling pharmacist in Michigan. Wow. And at this, uh, at that time, he, I mean, at this time, he's 71 years old. And under, when he was discovered, he was operating under the alias or alternate Paul Dixon. Um, and fun fact, um, that was not one of the aliases that was listed on his FBI wanted poster back in 1971 or any time in between. So at the time, they only knew his aliases as Rennie Hoskins, Renee Hoskins, Lukey, or Leonard Jeffries. So again, Paul Dixon was not um, on there. So that's probably part of the reason that they weren't able to locate him, even in Michigan. So again, he was charged with embezzlement um, in January of 2020. And at that time, he was then, the FBI, uh, you know, they fingerprint people when they arrest people. And the FBI used what's called the Next Generation Identification System, which matched his prints taken at the time of that arrest to his um, prints that were taken in 1968 when he was arrested for the death of Mary Amplo. Is that a relatively new technology? Um, I don't know if the technology itself is is new, but the process of matching that is is more new, we'll say. Yeah, it seems like you've been hearing that a little bit more recently. Because <clears throat> um, that used to be, like, at least based on my own knowledge, um, when you watch these different shows like Criminal Minds, like, that would always be how they catch the person is matching DNA to this and that and the other thing. Maybe that's more CSI, I can't remember, but... Um, it seems like more and more that's holding as like a sticking point for, um, charging someone. Yeah. I mean, I think what's helping is the coordination of all of the records. So before they were all scattered and not centralized. So maybe, you know, Michigan didn't communicate with Pennsylvania, which is Pittsburgh where he was charged with the, the homicide <clears throat> and, if they don't communicate, then if someone's arrested in Michigan, then they're not, you know, that won't be matched to Pittsburgh. Hmm. Um, but with this federal coordination, that's how they were able to match, okay, the arrest records or the fingerprint records of here match something that we were looking, someone that we were looking for. Okay. Which is um, obviously a, a good thing, but, you know, it might also answer why, you know, he's charged with a crime in January 2020, but is not arrested by the FBI Detroit Fugitive Task Force until November 12th, 2020. So 11 months after he's originally charged in Michigan is when he's actually finally apprehended by the FBI mm -hmm. Task Force. Now, we talked about this in a previous episode. I forget which one, but it was one of our first ones. Um, just when you get to older adulthood and how your risk to society decreases and then sometimes you know people will be let out of prison or whatever what do you see as the potential outcomes 
in this case? It seems like a little bit more unique. Um, well, he... He needed held accountable for the life the life sentence that he was given for the murder mm -hmm. um, so he never really he only served three years of that right so regardless of you know his risk he's supposed to serve that sentence now i don't know the terms of his sentence in terms of if he could be paroled i doubt it because of his um it because it was murder but at 71 years old, you know, definitely his risk um, is, is probably a lot lower than it was when he was uh, originally arrested back in 1968. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Have there been other cases like this where the person's escaped or um, I, I'd like found? to say I'd like to say that there was there's not, but there <laughs> has been. So it, it is a case that I've talked about before. It's a great uh, podcast series, uh, Have You Seen This Man? And that's all about uh, a guy named Lester Eubanks, who he escaped custody uh, similar to um, similar to Leonard Moses uh, in the sense that, you know, he, w he was arrested for something else and then left custody um, and didn't serve his sentence. The difference being that Lester Eubanks has not been found. Mm. And that's been... Uh, I don't think it's been 50 years, but it's still been a long time. So he's still missing. Um, there has been an update in November again. Weird that they both had the updates in November. Um, I think they had there was a spotting of him somewhere in a southern state, uh, but they're not sure uh, if it's him or not. But um, that was just another another update for that case. But yeah, so this escaping custody. Um, something interesting I had found um, in that podcast, uh, episode two, if you check out that one of Have You Seen This Man, they are talking. They were talking about how um, before this reform was enacted in Ohio, was the, the main state that they talk about, that inmates were actually, or actually after the, the reform, inmates were given the permission to go to like the county fair, they were given permission to go to the mall. They were given permission, um, like Lester was given permission to go shopping hmm. at the mall, and Lester was also incarcerated for um, the death of somebody. Interesting. And uh, so the, the freedoms that they were given, uh, you know, were pretty substantial, that they could just go shopping at, a, you know, a shopping mall uh, or go to the fair or anything like that. So that, and that's where he escaped, actually, was, you know, he went shopping um, and then didn't return to the the prison vehicle that was supposed to transport him back so you know there are some loopholes in the in the system um and that's unfortunately where you know people will take advantage of that and i'm not saying it happens all the time but obviously in some cases it does and definitely makes a lot of people's lives more difficult for sure yeah all right. Uh, anything else on this case? No, I just I uh, just wanted to cover this case. I know it's not a lot of information. Um, there wasn't a lot of information about what happened um, in the original case or in this new update. Uh, just wasn't uh, just to bring light to the fact that you know sometimes we have these serious cases where the person um, is able to actually escape, and he was able to hide away for forty nine years. 
um, without ever being detected uh, to be taken back into custody. And it's not, we're not sure if, you know, if he didn't commit that embezzlement charge, you know, would he have just kept living and never been caught? Mm -hmm. uh, that's what actually brought him back into the criminal justice system was a new charge. So it's actually interesting that you say that, you know, the older you get, the less likely you're to reoffend. Um, but at 71 years old, you know, he's arrested for embezzlement. So it's not to say that you're not going to commit anything uh, when you're older. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if there's anything I learned from Dr. Schmidt, it's that embezzlement is just as serious of a risk to society um, as many other crimes. So. Yeah, I mean, he was acting as a as a pharmacist, so there, that's a, a dangerous profession to be committing any kind of criminal offense because you're dealing with people's medications and stuff. So I'm not sure what what all that involved, but uh, that's very concerning. Mm -hmm. And the traveling piece that just raises your risk in general <laughs> of being caught. Mm, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it's just it's wild too that you know this case originated in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but. Uh, he ends up being found um, in, you know, Michigan. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not like when we look for, you know, a missing defendant, we can't just say, oh, well, you know, just search where the area where he grew up. Um, he actually grew up in North Carolina. So, you, you know, he wasn't there and he wasn't in the Pennsylvania area. He was all the way in Michigan. So definitely need to broaden our perspectives and where we're looking um, if someone's missing. Definitely, yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this uh, different kind of case. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of other cases out there like this um, that maybe are covered in other podcasts, but um, I think you should uh, definitely check out um, Have You Seen This Man uh, by ABC News. It's a great series. And like I said, there's an update, um, and I'll, I'll definitely be checking out the update as well. Remember, Neurological is a true crime podcast to be psyched about. <laughs>